an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 675. If you were in Detroit and or Milwaukee this past weekend, thanks for coming out to the live shows. Miss April Richardson and I had a great time Got a picture picture of the, the Bronze Fonz in Milwaukee, which was great. Had some Slow's Barbecue in Detroit. Uh, and the next couple of shows are in D.C. and Philly. And then Bonnaroo uh, mid-June. So hopefully to see you out there for that. Let's go to the Noitis Community Corkboard. Uh, here's a podcast called Little Big Cast. That's everything PlayStation. Is discussed on live podcasts, including game nights, indie games, much more at twitch.tv slash littlebigcast, and that's cast with a K. Uh, check out the podcast live on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, or find the, find the podcast on iTunes. Uh, moving on, Jeff Peck Jr. has created a cool and unique way for record enthusiasts to store and display what record is playing. They come in two sizes. They hold either 5 or 25 records. You can find them at recycledsaints.com. And our buddy Ken Denmead, Geek Dad. Uh, he is, of course, uh, a former Nerdist Podcast guest, episode number 99. He was uh, in a significant bit of legal wrangling to get the Geek Dad brand back, but he has finally settled the issue. Uh, but there were legal bills, because that's how America works sometimes. And uh, if you want to help him out, go to GoFundMe.com slash Geek Dad, or... Become an ongoing patron of Geek Dad at patreon.com slash geekdad. But uh, Ken's a good guy, and he wants you to make with the cool tech so your kids think you're cool. And uh, help him out if you can. If you would like your event or thing posted to the Nerdist Community Corkboard, events at nerdist.com, or throw them in the comment threads of the podcast over at nerdist.com. This episode is Mr. John Cryer, who I've met a handful of times over the years and has never failed to be a lovely, lovely gentleman. Uh, he has written a book called So That Happened, a memoir, which is available now wherever books are sold. He was such a great guest. And uh, again, another good guy. I know you're getting sick of me hearing me say, like, oh, this person's great, this person's lovely. But these are, these are nice people, and Cryer is no exception. I am telling you, you're going to want Cryer to come over to your house. I don't know if you'll be able to get him to come over to your house, but if you can get him to come over to your house, then you will have had a successful day, my friend. Here's the Nerdist episode, number 675, with the fantastic John Cryer. Katie, thing, please. Now entering Nerdist.com.
know, a little, a little scary. This room? Yes, very. Mm, it's it's deep. the brick. <laughs> it's all the, the brick. The brick is means business. <laughs> the brick is very serious. Yeah. But in general, it's. Uh, mm. I think you'll find it to uh, be a warm room, John. Oh, good. Which is here to, uh, here to. Just grill me. No, about, like uh, this isn't the. the this isn't the. This is not the British press. Okay. <laughs> Oh, they're fun. But they sound so cool when they're doing it. They really, they Fuck really you, do. Here's Morgan. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, what, is that a journal? Is that a... It's a guest uh, book. Is that, oh, okay. Kind so of So all of, all of our guests... There's Bill Gates. There's nice. Julian Anderson drew a big vagina. Vagina. Yeah. See, I don't... Yeah. So okay, I have a story about vaginas if you'd like later. Uh, in, later? <laughs> I mean later. The, well, no, in the in the broadcast, I will tell you. I don't if I tell you now, it will feel forced. We've, and, we've, we've already recorded. Oh, this is recording, and you yeah. just heard me just unload on Piers Morgan. Yeah, if we, I don't even know Piers Morgan. We can cut that out but if you want. Fuck him. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got nothing against Piers Morgan. Uh, uh, no, the vagina story I was going to tell is not about my own uh, vagina. Uh, uh, no, my my uh, my daughter we've tried to demystify the of whole course. thing for our children and not you know call it a hoo-ha and make up cute words for it just call it what it is you right. know uh, uh, and and so that my daughter doesn't feel like it's dirty or something right. like that so but she of course is now five and understands there is comedy value thank in god the you word. weren't like she's 24 i know and <laughs> she's 24 <laughs> and we screwed her up we're for trying life, to basically. demystify <laughs> <Yeah>. the whole thing <laughs> finally finally we're it's finally okay demystifying okay. it uh, but uh, she, uh, but she's five, and she's realized there's certain comedy value in the word vagina, which I, I think is also, uh, I think a lot of people in stand up have realized of course, uh, yes. the comedy value of vagina. Um, so, uh, and so now she's saying it just to get a laugh at dinner table, you know, and stuff like that. And we're trying to sort of now ignore it and not make it this hugely powerful, funny word. Um, but we're trying to ignore it. So my daughter has sort of upped her game. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, she has created a character uh, with her vagina that she calls Vagina Fish Lips. Uh, and Vagina Fish Lips talks. And so she does the whole thing with... Uh, 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 Is your daughter Sarah Silverman? Uh, and you'd think. You'd think. She has a promising career in this. Uh, uh, but, but the funny thing was my daughter bonded great with my wife. Uh, uh, and so she was always a little threatened by me and my relationship with my wife, you know, cause, yeah. uh, cause we were totally dig each other. And, uh, so, uh, <laughs> so my wife, um, uh, hello. Hi, welcome. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so my wife, uh, 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 so she would, would, would always, um, so my daughter was not always, very welcoming to me. Sure. You know, she would always say, no, go away, daddy, go away, daddy. You know, that was what she said for, for several years. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, but interestingly, this character she created, Vi- Vagina Fish Lips, uh, is very nice to me uh, and will talk to me before bedtime. Go, oh, good night, daddy. You know, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's very, very sweet of her. Uh, but I uh, uh, sorry. I, you know what? I, you, your listeners didn't need to. It's a good story because I'll tell you why. This. Because there's two things. There's two things that I think are intriguing you at it. Number one, okay. mm-hmm. people with young children who are trying to demystify. Because by the way, with what kids are growing up with now, it, it's like they're gonna as soon as they are conscious beings, mm. they're gonna have this stuff thrown in their face because of yeah. just the way the media is and the internet. And mm. then, so having this demystified and 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 also. 
you know, we have a chance with this generation to bring them up in a in a healthy sexual identity atmosphere. Yes, as opposed exactly. To when, we, when we were growing up, where it was sort of like, be ashamed, you yes, know? Like, so yeah. actually, I think it's actually a very good story. Oh, thank you. And I you. also think it's very cool that you're not like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> that's not supposed to do that. No, because uh, at the uh, at the bottom of everything, I'm a comedian and I enjoy good work. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, 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 she's funny. She's a funny little five-year-old girl. And you, uh, so you had a child when you were 45, is that right? Yeah. And how, because uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm four, I guess, because I'm, I'm turning 50 uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yes. Happy birthday. Thank you, you guys. You guys. You didn't have to get... Oh, wait, you didn't, we didn't get, get anything. We didn't get anything, no. Yeah. So actually, <laughs> no. This, the expectations okay. were right on track. Right so this is... <laughs> today, the day that we are recording this is April 15th, so the 16th is your birthday. Yes. This won't go out for a couple of weeks just oh, to okay. land in time with, uh, with, uh, with your book, but... Um, uh, Cause I'm, you know, I'm 43, mm-hmm. and so, but I don't have any kids. But I kind of think like I'm not a, you know, I could still do. I'm not opposed to the idea. <laughs> so are, I'm do you have any, capable? Do you have any other guy yeah, like Tony Randall <laughs> had kids when he was 70? Yes, he is the, he was the measure by which all old guys are possibly are, gay, and he still and has he still, kids. <laughs> yeah, so, no, he was an effeminate heterosexual dork like me. <laughs> <laughs> You are the Tony Randall am, of this generation. I am generation. the Tony Randall of this generation. I was a pioneer in my field. Well, just for my generation, actually. Uh, uh, but Ducky was a was a an effeminate heterosexual dork. Uh, Ducky we must was unite. Ducky yeah. was my like in terms of you know I, because of the way that I grew up, uh, n- nerdy awkward kid. You know, I always related to the Anthony Michael Hall character, the Ducky character, mm. du- Ducky. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I I saw all, like all of your movies. I mean, going back to No Small Affair, to Hiding Out, to uh, uh, to Pretty in Pink, like always. I was I was a, to the Hot Shots. Like I was a huge, huge John Cryer fan oh, when I was you. growing up. So thank I you. because I identified with you as this character who was sort of like out of place with the rest of what would have been considered popular culture. Mm-hmm. But you still managed to make stuff cool. Oh, like, uh, oh, good. I uh, not on purpose. I, uh, <laughs> Teddy you. Z was a really fun oh, show. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. We were trying something that I don't know that we landed on that show. Uh, I think like Larry Sanders' show really that really landed what we were trying to do. You yeah. know, um, but we were on CBS. You know, three years before, so it was a lot harder. Wasn't uh, Alex Rocco on that show? Alex Rocco was in that. It was great. He won an Emmy for that show, which oh, was pretty fantastic. exciting. Yeah, and he's so lovely. Such a great guy. But uh, but well, thank you for going over my filmography. Yes, uh, you started nice. kind of yo- you started pretty young. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, my f- uh, first job was nineteen years old uh, in a Robert Altman movie uh, called Ocean Stiggs mm-hmm. that you haven't seen that I didn't see <laughs> that nobody has seen because it's not good. But it's a Robert mm-hmm. Altman film. I know you'd think. Uh, he, it was his stab at making sort of a youth movie, yeah. Uh, and you know, he's, he didn't mash. He's the guy's capable of being super funny, sure. You know, um, but I, I you know, it, th- and Ocean Stiggs was based on a bunch of National Lampoon articles about these two guys who are just total. Uh, 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 I don't know what you'd call them, uh, uh, vandals. Or, you know, they, they, they just <laughs> they love destroying the suburbia around them, and it was a uh, it was sort of a comment on Reaganism and and all that stuff, um, but. Uh, but the movie just never quite worked. I mean, we would go, we would make the movie, we would shoot the movie during the day, and then Bob would have these big screenings at night of all the rushes from the day before. Uh, 
Uh, rushes. Rushes. I now sound <laughs> elderly. Uh, yeah, this was on real making, to real, correct? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, they were they were black. There was no sound. No sound. Uh, um, and, he hired a piano player. Yes. Oh, it's a scary part. But no, he would. Uh, uh, he would have this great party atmosphere to show us all the rushes, and we would watch what everybody shot during the day. And it was largely an improv, improvised movie. We would, um, uh, he, you know, we, we had a script, but he would basically mic up all the actors and set them loose on the set to make it up, which was scary but great. I mean, it's uh, Robert Altman's entrusting you to do this. So, so we would watch the dailies and and just laugh and laugh our asses off. We just thought this was hilarious. But when it cut together, it just lacked any context, and, and, and the movie just did not work at all. So, so it's, it's basically just a series of sketches that didn't really It's connect. not even sketches. It's just people wandering around saying whatever comes off the top of their Is heads. Is this available anywhere? Can people see uh, it? Yes, it's, it, it's on a DVD. Uh, okay. Uh, but it, it, does, it does exist. Um, but it's uh, but it's not good. Did was there a premiere for this movie? No, there wasn't a premiere. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, it was it was unreleasable. It was considered unreleasable, and it was only put out like a video company bought out a chunk of MGM, and they and they put out all their their videos that they could, and it was one of them. But it was it was unreleased up to See, that point. See, this is why people should go easy on themselves. Even Robert Altman has exactly. a turd in the punch bowl. It, oh my gosh, and what a turd! You, <laughs> uh, yeah, check it out if you ever if you ever. Uh, you should probably smoke some weed or something, <laughs> uh, uh, you know. But uh, uh, you know, so, something to take the edge off that. But movie. No, but then, no small affair. I think was the first movie I saw with you and Demi Moore. Right? You were a young photographer, and she was a model, and you were in love with her. Yes. And and, and then some. And then you guys ended up. Yeah, but I can't remember to be, how it ended. It was supposed to be sort of a May December thing. She was supposed to be an older woman, and I was supposed to be, you know, young and still in high school. But literally, like seventeen and twenty three. Like, yeah, it was, it was like, like that kind of really, thing. Yeah. really minor age difference. <laughs> well, the it was the, the movie actually got started a, a year before with a different director and with uh, uh, Matthew Broderick and Sally Field in it. So there was actually a little more of a May December. Oh, thing. that is a much more of a exactly a graduate style. Ex- yeah, but they uh, but by the time it it, uh, it 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 actually got shot. It was me and and to me, you know, isn't that the 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 normal course of events? At any rate, uh, uh, but that was yeah, that was uh, and Tim Robbins was in that movie. Oh, you wow. was like what what he yeah there there's it was uh, he was uh, you know like he had a string because he was also in tape heads and uh-huh. he was like he was in a bunch of these eighties movies where he was sort of like the the lanky hilarious goofy guy yes and then after the player just like. Super serious. Super serious all the time. Yes. Yeah. I wanted that phase. That phase never happened to me. Did you want that? Uh, nah. It's not fun. You, you know, the the uh, uh, being able to do uh, comedy is uh, is a, a gift. You know, because because uh, I mean the serious stuff. Honestly, it's weirdly weirdly the stakes are kind of lower when you're acting drama. Yeah. Um, because you just. Uh, I don't know. You're, you're, you're not uh, uh, obviously if it's if it's not if it's a comedy and it's not funny, you blew it, right? <laughs> um, but if it's a drama and you know there's a couple of imperfect moments, it's okay, you know. Uh, so it's a little less precise, yeah. I think. And with Pretty in Pink, I know I know John Hughes wrote that. I think Howard Deutsch directed that. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. did you work with John Hughes at all? Yes, he was a he was a presence. Uh, he was not there every day, um, but he was there many days. Uh, uh, like, and, and it was interesting because Howie didn't have the same style of directing as John. Uh, Howie was uh, incredibly warm, and you felt like he was your best friend, and. Uh, 
and you know he'd come back after he'd come you know we'd, we'd shoot a scene and then he'd say hey is there anything you want to do and i would just go in and make some stuff up you know and uh, and that was fun that was a really great way to work and and john uh Wanted that, wanted that sort of give and take as well, but he was capable of sort of messing with your head a little bit. I mean, I remember there was a scene, uh, and I talk about it in the book, where uh, this, there's a scene in a nightclub where uh, me and Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy and Annie Potts are uh, having an argument around a table, and it's a little frustrating when you shoot a scene with multiple characters at a table because you got to get close-ups of everybody, and that takes a while, right. uh, unless you've got multiple cameras, and we we, we didn't at that point, and uh, and so by the so we started with Molly's single, and then Andrew's single, and then Annie Potts' single, and I think Dweezil Zappa was in it oh, as wow. well, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so by the time we finally got to mine. Uh, uh, Molly and Andrew started screwing around behind the camera and like changing the lines and insulting me. And this was weird, you know. I, I was like, "What is going on here?" And uh, and I and, be, and and it was an argument scene, so you know that sort of fed into the the anger of it. And uh, and after the scene, I I took Molly's side. I was like, "What, is, what the fuck are you doing?" You know. Um, uh, and and she said, "Oh, well, John told me to uh, to to try and make you angry." Because the scene wasn't uh, percolating enough, and I was like, and I managed. Then I really got angry. <laughs> like you could just tell like, me exactly. <laughs> you just make it a little hotter. That's that's what you say in that situation. <laughs> I am a, I am uh, a performer. Yeah, but it was but it was interesting bit of uh, sort of Machiavellian uh, uh, manipulation, and and apparently John John was a, a tough guy to uh, get close to, and I you know with my interaction with him was always. Uh, uh, was was always genial. I was a huge fan of his from his writing at National Lampoon, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and actually he had uh, there was a story that I loved that that when I went in for my audition for Pretty in Pink, I mentioned to him. I was like, oh, I love that story. It was a uh, it was called The Spy Who Wore Nothing, uh, and it was basically this, you know. 15-year-old boy is asleep at night in his room and a naked woman climbs in through his window and it turns out that his memory's been erased. He's actually a deep cover uh, secret agent. Uh, um, and then they go on this adventure t- together while, while he's with this naked woman. Uh, and it's, you know, it was like the ultimate 14-year-old boy's fantasy. So, of course, I was a big fan. Um, and he later confided in me that he had, he had taken that idea and sort of changed it and written it as a new script uh, called some kind of wonderful, <gasps> and uh, uh, and he that was the movie that he was talking to me about after Pretty in Pink, but and for a while exactly, and for a while I was going to be in some kind of wonderful, um, but then uh, and it's a long torturous story that I, I go into in the book, but uh, uh, it, it, they it, Howie managed to make John angry. Howie Deutsch was supposed to direct that one. Howie uh, uh, John got angry at him about something. <laughs> and uh, and all of a sudden wasn't the director anymore. They brought in a new director, Martha Coolidge, who rewrote it. And then they uh, they cast Eric Stoltz while she was the director. But then they fired her and brought Howie back. Uh, <laughs> and but so Stoltz I, was already. And by that time, this, the the story was pretty in pink all over again. But it had not started out that way at all. I think Martha Coolidge directed one of my favorite movies of the '80s, Real Genius. Real Genius, yes, yeah. the Val Kilmer movie. Yeah, yeah. So there was a. That, I'm kind of curious to know what it was like to. I mean. 
the 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 term brat pack was thrown around quite a bit in the mm-hmm. 80s as being the group of like of basically the, the, the cool kids the cool kids. It, was like <laughs> yeah. the, it was like the breakfast club group you yeah. know it was the, the, the it was Roblo and Molly and, and Judd Nelson and, and, and Emilio Estevez and, and you were part and, of yeah. that too cuz like you I, I wasn't really not the uh, inner uh, inner inner but yeah, exactly. you were part of it Yes, I was part of it, and uh, and uh, there was a writer recently writing the history of the, the Brat Pack in the, those 80s movies, and she called me, so I guess I'm a part of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the time, if you recall, when they coined the term the Brat Pack, it was negative. It was very – because it was like, look at these bunch of assholes. Really? You know? yeah, you don't oh, I don't remember. remember. I just – because I was the right demographic. Oh, so you so it was, was like, like right like, above you. It was yeah, because everyone right was really you. fucking cool and really, uh, uh, really awesome, and it was – but but was it was without social media like in the eighties? What was it like to be a famous movie actor in the eighties? Was it did it seem was your uh, well it, it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I mean that's the perfect choice of words for it as well. Uh, um, uh, at that time though the 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 the, the Brad Pack actually sort of came about as a terminology from an article uh, written about. Uh, and a, a, a what sounded like a kind of annoying interview that this writer had with uh, Rob Lowe and Emilio Estevez and, and oh. Judd Nelson, and so they immediately uh, got this. It immediately had a negative connotation at the time. Um, but it's nice to know that uh, that there was that connotation was absent. Uh, for a lot of people, I'm, yeah, no, I'm I didn't get that at all. It's just that. I was the right demographic for all the for all those movies, and they all like I landed right squarely in the middle of awesome. all the things that I that I loved. But I always I way more identified with this sort of uh, awkward, out of place, nerdy characters because that was me. Like that's mm-hmm. how I I moved a lot when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. I was always like eh, I don't really fit in with anybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, it was uh, they were they were greatly appreciated. And, yeah. But it's it's not you know, and not everyone survived that. Not not everyone really survived that era. Yeah, it well, it was interesting because it was the, the combination of extreme fame and drugs. You know, the availability of drugs, and and that that was part that was ex- considered kind of an acceptable part of the culture. Was that were you into that part that, of it? No, I was not. So it was always a little weird for me because you know everybody when they were going to go out and party, I wasn't going to get invited, right? Uh, <laughs> which was actually probably par for the course <laughs> at that point. Uh, but no, as a matter of fact, there was some there was a point uh, uh, because I I was you know in talking about ideas for the book when I was writing the book there uh, uh, I was going to write a whole chapter about uh, the number of of you know very exuberant drug users who never offered me drugs Uh, (laughs) nobody ever I made it through the entire 80s without ever getting offered drugs you know what it took Andy Dick in 1993 to finally offer me some drugs he's really breaking a lot of ground exactly and I thank you Andy Dick because finally somebody was was willing to also uh, please take care of yourself yes exactly please good good luck Andy but he was trying to make out with me at that moment so well (laughs) Something exactly, exactly. It was uh, you know, it was it was part of a plan of seduction, I yeah. suppose. Now, if Rob Lowe had whipped his penis out, that that would have made it an evening, right? As far as I'm concerned. Did you? Uh, what was? What was? Were you? Were, so you were never at any of the crazy? Par- I'm just kind of curious to know, like, what was a what was the craziest thing you saw at like a weird '80s party? Because I think it, the '80s is like. People don't give a fuck about anything. They'll just do <laughs> yes, whatever. There's it's no just, rules. It's coke and unprotected sex, and, and no woo! one gives a shit about. No, it. that's the thing, though. The the 80s were never that that big bacchanal for me. I, in fact, I went to the Playboy Mansion really hoping for that. Uh, 
uh, and had a lovely, surreal evening. Uh, 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 got uh, the only uh, person who uh, I had even a shot with was uh, the paraplegic playmate because uh, they, they made an effort uh, to diversify. Of course, uh, uh, but uh, but alas, she was too drunk. Uh, and it just felt like, no, yeah. you know what? Uh, you cannot, I mean, you, it, you cannot hook up. There's no part of you that if you ever, even a remotely decent person, you cannot hook up with a drunk paraplegic person. Uh, no. Uh, or, there's well, no, I mean, if they're drunk people out in general. of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Drunk people, two things you shouldn't. When I, when I went to the Playboy Mansion the first time, I thought it was going to be really crazy too. And I spent most of my time just staring at the monkeys in the cages. Exactly. The That's monkeys. That's what I enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> and it is fascinating. Uh, you know, and, I, and they, uh, uh, there was a girl there who was saying, Oh, you want to see the game room? I'm like, oh yeah, do I want to see the game room? Uh, and it was a, a, game a game room. room. Yeah. And there was John Jonathan Silverman playing uh, pinball. I, 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 <laughs> I managed to avoid getting any type of airborne HPV at the grotto. Which yes, was, uh, congratulations. Was, thank you very much. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, I've only been there once, once or twice. Okay. And I was like, I get it. Yeah, I'm good. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm good now. <laughs> but uh, but surviving surviving that period and and then and having a an amazing career continue from that i mean it's not like you don't just work you haven't just worked a little bit mm-hmm. i mean you know, you're on the you're on the biggest or you were on the biggest sitcom one of the biggest sitcoms in the history of television which is you knowing how hard it is to even get on a show uh-huh that's a whole other that's a whole other thing yeah and uh, and that was you know uh, the the universe aligned and that's what happened, you know. You know, you, you uh, a, a, a portion of the book is talking about how sort of you get the parts you're destined to get. You can't beat yourself up over the parts that you don't, right? Um, because you know, like part of the book is I, I talk about the things that I auditioned for but did not get, but that I'm happy for because the things turned out so well, right? Like uh, I auditioned for Chandler Bing in uh, in Friends, you know, but I love Matthew Perry. I auditioned for Mr. Pink in uh, in Reservoir Dogs, but I love Steve Buscemi, you know, and and I auditioned for Karate Kid, you know, but I'm glad but it wasn't me. you love Pat me. Marita. <laughs> yes, I love Pat Marita, whole, so... <laughs> that joke has been made before. I know. No, that was the first time. No, that was the first time. Okay. That was the first time. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think you as Nucky Thompson, I sort of, I sort of, I, I sort of like this idea of well, you as Nucky you. Thompson, you and Boardwalk. I mean, because honestly, <laughs> you take a good comedy actor and you put them in like an intense drama role and it's... A lot of yeah, times sometimes like, they can really work. I mean, Vin, Brian Cranston, that's you know. it. Vince Gilligan, yeah. like most of the people yeah. that were in Breaking Bad were comedy people. Yeah, well, Gone Girl, I thought used very had very nice use of uh, formerly comedic actors. So is this <laughs> gonna? Are you seeing this as a as? Are you gonna start taking? Weird roles in, in, in movies. To I've, I've actually always done re- weird roles. Uh, there's a there's a movie I did called uh, Glam, uh, where I only took it because uh, I, I get uh, I, the part involved me getting beaten to death by a shirtless Tony Danza. Yeah, I, I don't see. I don't yeah. see. I, I mean, done. That. Exactly. Done. Yeah, done. You had me at. Uh, <laughs> I don't even need to meet with the director. Why exactly. are we not shooting this right now? <laughs> Why is this not being shot as we're speaking? Exactly. But I always, I always think of um, you know, with all of the all the drama that percolated from your show, like the real life drama, I always felt bad for you in the sense I'm like, God damn, it's fucking hard enough to get a show on the air. It is hard enough to have a hit show. Can everyone just act normal so we can <laughs> so we can try to enjoy this this gift that we've been given, which happens usually if it happens at all once in a lifetime. Exactly. Maybe could you know sometimes it could happen a second time, but really, you know, as far as you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Why is everyone trying to fuck this up? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that that did come to mind a few times. <laughs> Can we just uh, show up to work? It. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know. Uh, the 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 uh, one of the reasons I wrote the book was that I realized how many strange experiences I've had in the business, and I realized they sort or all sort of culminated <laughs> with uh, with my two and a half men experience. And uh, and and it is interesting. People in the business have that have that issue. They're like, "Oh, you had it in your hand. How could you throw it away like that?" But people out of the business uh, just sort of assume we're all going to work all the time, and that this stuff happens to us all the time. Right. Uh, and uh, and they're just kind of entertained by how ridiculous it is, which made me sad because in, in the at that time I was sincerely worried about Charlie Sheen dying. Yes, you know, and I thought this is not actually entertaining, folks. You know, right. this is this is a, a person in really bad shape. So, uh, well, by the um, way, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just like that point right there is where you know where I think the tabloids have. I mean, you know, it's fine to be like, who wore this dress bed up? Great, yeah. <laughs> but you know, when you put people like Lindsay Lohan, Charlie Sheen, when you put these people under the microscope and like punch them and punch them and punch them and punch them and punch them, it's like it's you have to remember like you 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 might be contributing to some of this. Exactly, like, these are destructive people. <laughs> yeah. And you're basically uh, you're basically antagonizing someone with an illness, in, and, and in the hopes of, that they will become more ill and give you more more stories. So to, it's kind of it's kind of gross. So yeah. it, like, did you uh, when you first started the show? Did you sort of feel like even during the pilot, were you like? I don't know. Or did, was he totally cool? No, he was sober. Actually, in, in fact, the, uh, uh, we did a photo shoot. The very first photo shoot for a new show is always a little awkward because you haven't really done – you haven't been the characters really for any length of time. You maybe shot the pilot or whatever. And, uh, and so – but you've got to pose and you've got to have the sort of physical relationships that you have with people. So it was a little weird. Um, but it was uh, – but you know, there was Angus T. Jones, all of you know, nine years old and, and Charlie and I. And at one point, Charlie asked me what date it was. And uh, I said, it's the 14th. And he said, uh, he said oh, I've been sober for two years now. Oh, you know? wow. And, it, and, and he was proud of it. Uh, and, and I really liked the fact that he wasn't counting days. He was now into his years, you know. And uh, – and for the first few years of the show, he was sober. Uh, so he was a different guy. And you must have known him from Hot Shots. Yes. When we did Hot Shots, uh, uh, he was clearly still partying, but he hadn't sort of – it hadn't uh, – I don't know. It hadn't gotten out of control at that point. I, I think at that time he was, uh, uh, he was sort of on a rebound of a uh, – uh, you know, he, he, had, he had, had some, some career problems and, and gotten a little – too deep, and uh, and he was now getting clean and trying to get his act together for uh, for this movie for Hot Shots, if you recall, and uh, and so he was great. He was great to work with. He would he would come in the trailer, say hello to everybody, super friendly. Uh, uh, you know, I you know I'd hear tales about where he was the night before, but couldn't see it from his work at all. Sure, uh, and and you know as I said. Because I gave off the vibe of a guy who wasn't doing drugs, I, I, I didn't participate in those kind of things and didn't, didn't – I, 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 I wasn't asked to go out to the parties. Sure. I find that to be a very fortunate happenstance for you. In the, oh, in the end, absolutely. Yeah. At the time, I managed to be hurt. Uh, uh, you <laughs> well, know. And, you know, performers were very sensitive and yes, they want to be for, included. For a while, I was going to call the book No Coke for Ducky. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, uh, I just <laughs> I just figured someone, the cover was yeah guys, uh, guys <laughs> surely someone has a, a punk band or an alt rock band out there <laughs> that needs to be called No Coke for Ducky yes exactly um, but uh, so you started the you started the pilot and you started the show and he was. Totally cool. Everything seemed fine. The the Angus was an adorable uh, little kid, and it's yeah. like everyone like, oh, hey, we're doing it. So how long in before it was like, eh, I don't know. Uh, it was probably three or four years. It was the first the, the, the and 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 actually. I, in the book, I go into the the little indicators that should have have told me something was was off. You know, the first was uh, the radio interview about uh, 9/11 conspiracies that he gave. I don't know if you recall that because I was listening to it on they talking about it on K Rock <laughs> and played chunks of it as I'm driving into work, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> wait a minute here, what is going on with? And, and before that, I had seen nothing, uh, and and. Uh, uh, and I, I, we parked next to each other uh, at the at the studio. So I got out of my car, and he was just sitting outside of his trailer having a smoke. Uh, and I was like, "Hey, man, <laughs> what's going on?" Uh, and uh, uh, he was he, he he was on the phone because you know, of course, there were uh, you know people were all a, a Twitter about it this before Twitter before Twitter yeah. <laughs> pre Twitter uh, Twitter uh, pre Twitter uh, Twitter and uh, and uh, I said, "Dude, what are you talking about?" And he stood by it and said, "No, you know they're they're hiding things from us and they're this and that." And and, and then I sort of broke it down and said, "Okay, you understand how if you wanted to do what they did." It would be impossible to plan because it was so hard, you know. It, it, you know, uh, and I uh, and, and we just argued about it and, and uh, argued about it in the in the makeup room and and our, but and it was interesting because the dynamic when you're you know he's a star of the biggest show on uh, on TV at the time. And so nobody was willing to say, you're starting to go crazy. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, uh, so there was there was a surprising amount of support in the, in the makeup room for 9-11 conspiracies that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but I understand because who's going to say, you know, the, the person dabbing on, you know, his concealer isn't going to say, Charlie, you're nuts. Right. <laughs> um, right. So uh, but it was it, but it was fascinating. Uh, and and. and uh, you know, b- between that and then when uh, uh, his his divorce with Denise happened, and uh, you know, the, uh, there were there were little indicators all the way uh, along the line. Are, were you guys uh, really good friends at that point, or just we like- were we were great work friends? But uh, uh, and we and we made some efforts to socialize outside of work. But uh, uh, but you know, he had two daughters, and you know what happens a lot of the time when you're when you've got kids is you just cocoon and you don't of end up socializing nearly as much as you used to and that's the phase he was in at the time and i've just assumed oh he's doting dad you know right um but obviously after he and denise split it got it got very different and did anyone did anyone at any point say like should we have an intervention or should we do that something? happened years later that happened in like the the seventh season uh, uh chuck laurie the producer of the show who's you know been uh, sober for years and and could obviously see the signs took me aside and said please john can you talk to him because i think he'll listen to you and uh and i don't know that he would because i was never a party buddy you know i was his work buddy and so uh so we respected each other we really liked each other but you know even though i was absolutely willing to to talk to him about it uh 
you know, I, I don't know how much good it would have done. And interestingly, I, he, he asked me to talk about it. And I said, okay, I'll talk about it tomorrow when we're at rehearsal together. And uh, the next day, Charlie went into rehab. Uh, oh, okay. So I was like, okay, I don't, well, that, you know, that was an awkward situation I won't have to deal with. Uh, but then a, a year later, he asked me to, to talk to him again, and that's when he and I sort of had it out. And, uh, and he, you know, and I was, at the time, he sounded like he got me and got what I was saying and, and was going to make a change, and it just didn't work out that way. Is it, is it, is it, is there some sort of a strange, I mean, like, if you can, just sort of walk me through a little bit. When you're, when you're in a scene, you have all this other stuff weighing in the back of your head. You know that there's very serious shit going on. You mm-hmm. know that he has problems, potential health problems, maybe mental health problems, drug problems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're still making, you know, for all intents and purposes, like a fun, wacky comedy. With it. So <laughs> was it, was, is a live audience there? Yeah, it's okay. a live audience. So how are, you, how are you sort of mashing all that down and kind of uh, almost, like, almost like when you're in a bad relationship and you're in front of your friends and everything's like, hey, no, everything's great. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that literally you're just like, got to focus and do the work? There was a certain amount of that. There was a uh, – Charlie was after, – after he was arrested uh, uh, in Colorado, he was sincerely worried that the audience, you know, the studio audience would – not laugh at him anymore, not find any of this stuff funny because we still used a lot of his persona in the in the show. Um, and I and we were all nervous. We were all, you know, sort of saying, well, is this going to be funny anymore to people, you know? And uh, and it was a fascinating reaction because uh, when they opened the curtain and revealed us at the beginning of the show, you know, which is we always come out and take a take a little bow and introduce ourselves. Um, the ovation for Charlie was cacophonous. It was the just uh, it was like everybody in the room suddenly had to take a side, and so they decided they were all on Charlie's side, you know. And it was it, it was a really odd experience to go, wow, you know, the, the, what exactly are they clapping for at this moment? Uh, uh, and I, you know, I think it's when you're in the room with the guy, you. You know, they're not just going to sit there and be silent. It's not going to be cri- crickets. You know, yeah, I don't know. I think I think people like a. I think people like a bad boy, you know. Yeah, like, on some level. I don't. I don't think they realize like how dangerous that actually is. So they're kind of yeah. like, yeah, he made it through. And also, I think <laughs> if anything sort of worked in favor for at least the public, per, at least the, the way the public saw it, I think is that it was with it was kind of within his character in the show mm-hmm. in, in a weird sort of way of yes, just like exactly. so he, he like, was on brand he's living it yeah he is <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not like it's not yeah. like he it's not like he was playing felix unger you know uh-huh. and, 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 <laughs> i was playing you felix were, unger you were playing felix you know like it, it so in a way it's almost like yeah and and i don't know people tend to embrace yeah, that the people who kind of embrace their dark side, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, the whole time I was watching, I was like, "These people don't know what they're supporting." Yeah, he's a fantasy figure for a lot of people. Yes. He is a he is a fantasy figure, and and like his his live tour uh, was uh, you know a a sort of symbol of that. You know that there was a, an actual audience to just see him ramble. You know, <laughs> um, and you know that that's uh, uh, you know I, if they pay their money, great. <laughs> God did, love them. Did you? <laughs> Did you give up emotionally at a certain point? Because you can only try to help so many times, and you're just like, I can't, I can't, I can't yeah. do this anymore. Oh yeah, uh, and and that was yeah that the 
I, I gave up after uh, when, when they had started to try and recast his character on the show. He started writing really angry, you know, even more so. Was that you the know? Tiger Blood uh, things, or was that no, that was actually after? That was that after was, Tiger Blood. It was even worse. Okay, uh, and that's when I gave up and said, I I don't know this guy anymore. Yeah, and, and have you spoken to him since? Yeah, yeah. There's a, we are on speaking terms. Uh, uh, in the in the book, I talk about some of the process of of, 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 of talking to him, and and uh, and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we're close, you know, uh, but he he knows about the book, and he seems like he's okay with it. He hasn't said anything, um, uh, but you know, I, I the guy I knew was sober. You know, and if he makes that decision and wants that to be his life, then I'd be happy to welcome him back into my life. Well, the other thing, too, is that, you know, you can try to help someone, try to help someone. You can't make anyone do anything. But then also at a certain point, you kind of got to protect yourself because you have a family, you have a career, you have a – like, you can try to a certain extent. But if someone is just such a toxic – like – Tornadoes don't build houses. You know yes. what I mean? Like, <laughs> tornadoes. Yes. Tornadoes carve a path of destruction. Yeah. And you know, my dad had this saying where he was basically like, "You put a negative and a positive in a room, and the negative's always going to win." Like, um, what, like mm-hmm. the like the chaos. It's difficult to to uh, reorient the mm-hmm. chaos. You yeah. know, like if something is is going to be super chaotic and you can't, at a certain point, you got to be like, well, you know what? Fuck, I have a wife, I have a family. I, I can't. I got to, I got to, I got to move on. But I wish him well. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. honestly, that's the, that's, that's the most that you can, yeah. that's the most you can do. Be truly happy for his success and whatever good things happen for him in the rest so of the So please, uh, and I, and you know, I assume you're okay with talking about this stuff because a lot of it is the focus of the, of the book. The yes. Memoirs. Well, it's, it's three chapters out of 27. So <laughs> there's, there's other stuff, but, uh, but yes, and I'm cool with it. it. Can you, were you, uh, what was your reaction to this sort of weird little, uh, Angus Jones flip out. Oh yes, that was exciting. Uh, <laughs> no, that was great because uh, Ashton Kutcher, who I'd been working with for a, a little less than a year at that point, um, he'd never been through one of these things before. <laughs> so I was the yes, welcome to Two and a Half Men, Ashton. Uh, he he came. He uh, uh, I, I got this knock on my door, my trailer door. I opened the door and uh, and and Ashton is there and he's kind of hollow eyed and like <laughs> and lost looking and he said, "Hey man." Um, uh, you hear about Angus? And I said, no, is, is he okay? And he said, sort of. <laughs> and he said, come to, come to my trailer. And so I went to his trailer, which was gargantuan, and, uh, and he showed me the video of, uh, of Angus denouncing the show and yeah. calling it filth. And, uh, and that was a jaw-dropping moment because up to that point, um, Angus had been the sweetest, uh, uh, you know, a lovely little kid who had this astonishing uh, gift for remembering lines and for taking notes at the last minute and, uh, you know, altering his performance. And uh, uh, and as an actor, he was great because he, he wasn't trying too hard. He was just being and he it was just a wonderful presence. And he was a lovely kid for so long. And to just, you know, for him to... Uh, in that particular manner, <laughs> reveal how he'd been feeling about the show for a while uh, was really shocking. Uh, but he's a deeply good kid, and in some respect, I I understood. Um, because he was this sweet little boy in the middle of a fair amount of chaos. Of course. Um, and 
that a kid so well-intentioned would uh, discover, uh, you know, a, a deeply held Christian belief was not hard for me to believe. It, you know, uh, the, all the best parts of that were, were who he is, sure. you know. And so, so that part of it did not surprise me. Um, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, I don't know, uh, just the manner in which it came out felt a little sort of manipulated, like the people in his church were trying to get him on tape saying this kind of thing, and that sure. was not cool. Um, but he's a good guy. So he came and he auditioned. He, uh, he auditioned. He apologized to everybody. And... And it was clearly sincere. He, you know, while he still felt the way he felt, he didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. He sure. made the tape. He thought it was an internal video for the church. Sure. He didn't think anybody was going to see it. Um, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> so naturally he gave all the money back, right? Uh, yes. Well, no, that, I, I understand why people would be angry about that. Um, I mean, there's nothing, by the way, I want to make it very clear. I don't have any problem if someone's going to say like, you know, mm-hmm. I've discovered this faith. I believe this thing, and these yeah. are my beliefs. Great, those are your beliefs. But at the same time, you're like, huh, but did, you, you really you, you, you took the money. You yeah. took the, <laughs> but but I also when I saw that, I think my 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 forgiveness meter was more in a. He's a teenager. Yes. You know, ki- kids have a lot of different identities. Yeah. Maybe this will be the one that sticks. Maybe it won't. He's trying exactly. like, he's ex- trying to figure out who he is, particularly in a business that is very unstable. And because of like what you said, you know, yeah. it's kind of an, unsta- an unstable environment. You know, I didn't really feel like, what is happening? It's just like, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, he's reacting. Yeah. He's expressing, he's, you know. He's 19 years old or 18 yeah. years old. Yeah. yeah that's, that, that was another part of it was, you know, he's, he's young and he's figuring out who he is. And, and and by the way, I don't know if he kept the money. I don't know if he donated the money to the church. He, he's that kind of kid. Sure. <laughs> so he may well have. Um, uh, but interestingly, you know, he's been to college now for a couple of years, and it gave him a little bit of perspective on it. And I was really thrilled that he was able – that he felt uh, fine about uh, participating in the finale of the show. Yeah. Um, because I, I would feel bad if he came away from the show just feeling like it, it was a, a, a bad experience for him or sure. felt that he was contributing to something bad. Oh, well, so know? let me ask you this then. How much – so you say like three chapters out of 27 in the book are about this experience. Yeah. What percentage of your experience on Two and a Half Men – was soiled. Was the whole experience soiled for you, or does it just feel like, yeah, that was just ten percent of it? Or how do you how do you look back on it? Now? No, I would say that the experience was vastly more positive than negative. Uh, um, vastly more. Uh, you know, I'm not. I can't give a percentage. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. First of all, you know, we had six or seven great years just in the original run, and then sort of resurrecting the show was a, a, a fascinating, really difficult experience, but but great, and I learned so much. Uh, and, you know, in the end, it, it's, it's, it, it is actually the longest-running multi-camera sitcom in the history of broadcast television. So we achieved something that we might, had there not been the drama, that might not have even been achieved. Right. You know, so... Uh, so, you know, yeah, there were some bad times. Yeah, I am, I am, uh, you know, now that the show is over, I have to say there is some amount of relief to be away from what was the source of a fair amount of drama in my life. But, um, uh, but by and large, it was great. It was a great ride. So rather than, rather than, cause obviously, and I'm sure you've talked about it to death and of course, and, and in the book too, it'll be, when people ask you, you can be like in the book, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, like rather than focusing on the negative, like what are some of your, what are some of the positive takeaways? Like what, what were you excited about or what are you the most proud of? Or what are you- um, 
I was the most proud of uh, uh, being able to to build a character for twelve years, you know, and take him through a lot of uh, interesting turns and and you know uh, uh, from the sort of emotional basket case to the craven uh, <laughs> you know uh, 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 craven sort of uh, self involved guy who he ended up becoming um, you know it was it was uh, uh, it was a huge education in comedy and uh, working with writers and uh, um, and watching how the writers dealt with uh, bringing Ashton in and, and seeing how they changed his characters and what what arcs worked and what arcs didn't and it was just all that you know it was the learning process of doing of doing a show for a long time that I find incredibly valuable because uh, it's it's it, you know it's alchemy when you do it well you know and so watching people do it well for 12 years was great do you uh when you finished did you feel relief or did you feel like, ah, I really want to do this for another 12 years? Or did, were you ready to sort of like, uh, I, was, eh, I want to go do other stuff? I was ready to move on, um, but sad because I love the people. You know, the people were great to me, a great crew. Uh, That's a considerable portion of your life. And yes, exactly. It was 12 years. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for 30, but 12 is a good chunk, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, and just the incredible luck of having had a run like this is, is crazy. And I, I didn't want to take it for granted. Um, but I made a decision in our last season that, and I was really grateful that I knew it was the last season. Cause that gave me a long time to emotionally prepare for it being over. Um, but I decided I was not going to be sad until the end. I was not going to allow the fact that I knew it was going to be over to ruin the last year I was there. Uh, and it was, uh, and it was great. I didn't, I didn't really, uh, start crying until the very last shot of the very last scene. I mean, you can't, how could you not at yeah. that point? Yeah, no, then, yeah. And it was a weird moment cause they, cause, uh, you know, after you shoot a scene, invariably the writers work on some new stuff, they bring it to you and then you play that again in front of the audience, uh, and, you know, and sometimes you can just keep doing that. They'll keep, you know, if they can't find a joke that works, they'll just keep working it. And you can be there for, you know, 45 minutes working on a two minute scene, you know, but, the, you know, that that happens sometimes. Um, but when we shot the very last scene, uh, uh, you know, we, we've, we've, you know, they said cut. And I looked and I could see the writers weren't working on new lines. They were hugging each other. Oh, and I was like, oh, we're done. Oh, we're really done. You almost want to keep, you almost want to keep flubbing. <laughs> yes, the exactly. Joke. Like, we're gonna, exactly. We can, we can, we can, we can make it forever. So what, ideally now, like what kind of stuff do you want to do? And what, what would, you know, do you want to explore a lot of different types of new things? Or do you want to take, time off and enjoy the, the fact that the book's coming in? You know, I don't know. What do you, what do you think I should do? I'll tell you what I think. It, okay, tell me. I'll tell you what I think you should do. Okay. I, and this is just my personal opinion, you know, I, I would find, a, I mean, like, to me, Cranston is the perfect model for, for like really interesting longevity because he will never repeat the thing that he did before. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, I, I honestly think, you, I think you could land and just be some really cool, intense character in like a in like a weird drama, like just like one of those really weird cable dramas where <laughs> where you have all of the creative freedom uh-huh. that is super interesting and super cool, or 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 film or film, just like mm-hmm. you know, it'd be it'd be great. I I you know I I'm trying to just keep my eyes open and not rush into anything. Sure, you know, I uh, if something great 
crosses the transom. Yeah, I love it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll jump on board. But uh, but you're I'm not in such a good position though. I know it's nice. You, you, you know, like you financially, you probably don't really have to do anything. You could just you could just do stuff that's fun. It doesn't matter. You just make yourself happy. I, yeah. Well, I kind of always was that way. I was lucky enough that um, I saved my money for my first few jobs, so I I did not. Uh, so I always had a cushion. So I never was taking jobs because I had to until very late, until my son was born. That was when I started taking jobs because I had to. But before that, I was just doing, I was, you know, it's like, Tony Danza's going to kill me shirtless. <laughs> yeah, count me in, you know. Uh, and that was fun. And that was a great way to work. And, you know, yeah, nobody saw that movie. But, uh, but I'm learning, uh, you know, I'm learning something new every day. And that's great. Um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 it, but you're right. That actually sort of, uh, uh, gets me back to that point where I can, where I can do that again, except I've got kids now. So, uh, sure. you know, uh, I'm going to try not to embarrass them completely. <laughs> well, you, to be honest, you have to embarrass them a little bit. I mean, I think, isn't that part of the joy of being a parent is yeah. kind of embarrassing your kids? Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Now because that you it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do because you're their parents. They will find it embarrassing. Between, you know, between five and 18, they're 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 gonna yeah. get more and more. No, I'm gonna say between 11 and 18. Yeah, they're gonna be more and more embarrassed of you because that's what they're yeah. supposed like, to do. Uh, my dad cured Ebola. What a god! Get, get it, dad. Uh, 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 <laughs> that's what you should do is go cure Ebola. Yes. <laughs> who would? What, I know who would expect that. That would come out of left field. I mean, the that, guy like, from Two and a Half Men. Fucking cured take Ebola. that, Cranston. <laughs> Because <laughs> this is all about getting Oh, you Cranston. did Walter White. Is, <laughs> I cured Ebola. <laughs> what are you going to do of about yours, it? Cranston? <laughs> uh, John, it's Chris. Cranston just cured cancer. <laughs> oh, God, God damn, damn it! it. <laughs> Cranston! Just <laughs> create an arch nemesis out of, out of Cranston. Like one of the nicest guys. guys in the yes, movie. exactly, exactly. But I've always, <laughs> like the handful of times I've run into you at events over the years, you've always been so nice. I mean, it's just like, just not, and not in a fakey, just like a genuinely like, hey, like you, ha- what is it about, what is it about your <laughs> what upbringing? What's wrong with you? That, well, because, because having been in the business for 30 years, it's like people don't always emerge. And, you know, like there's, there can be bitterness there, even, even successful people. Wait, so, there's successful bitter there's people? Crazy. What? What? <laughs> You've seen them. But, how, you know, what, what was it about your upbringing or your personality or whatever that you think, Kept you just like a nice regular dude. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, early on, I realized that uh, if you love how stupid the business is, and it is stupid, yeah. and it's unfair, uh, if you can love that, then every day is a gift. You know, uh, and I'm serious. I love it. I, 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 you know, when it was great to me, I loved it. When it was shitty to me, I loved it. Uh, and. Because it was always entertaining, uh, you know, so I, so that, you know, so, you know, that, that has sort of kept me through it all. Uh, and, uh, and that I've, that even the, the things I've done that, that have just failed, I found something in, you know, I found some kernel of something I, I'd learned in it. Yeah. Do you ever think about I'm going to go direct a bunch of television, or which is uh, a pretty you know, sweet I'd life? Love to, I'd love to. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to get that. You got like Ridley Scott directing a pilot. It's uh, how do you 
compete with that. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I have directed some multi-camera. I would love to direct single camera. Um, uh, but, you know, if, if I don't know that, I, I think I would pursue trying to uh, find another character to play before I would pursue directing. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Is there another, do you, do you have other ideas? Because I would imagine at this point, you probably could just go pitch your own thing to someone. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so what... Do you have other character ideas, like other other things that you would like to to play, or other things um, you want to explore? Not right now. I'm kind of trying to, you know, once once the the uh, show was done, I kind of wanted to be a blank slate and not think about stuff. I'm not that guy who has. I got a million things I want to do right now. Uh, I wanted to to chill out and not think about that. And you know, the book coming up uh, has been a fun sort of sidetrack um, because I I you know it's a weird. It, you, it puts you in a position of weird vulnerability, uh, commodifying a, a portion of your life <laughs> and handing it out and saying, please buy this and enjoy it. You know, yes. <laughs> uh, it's very odd. And uh, so I'm, I'm learning from that experience right now. Uh, and so I've kind of suspended my imagination of what kind of characters I'm going to uh, play. The fortunate thing is that as a comedy guy you can work the rest of your, like, uh, you just have to be fun. Like, as long as you, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, as long as you can, there's no, like, you could, if you wanted to, just take a decade off, <laughs> and then you could come back and still work. Yeah, well, I, one would hope. Although, some people feel like uh, comedy is a young man's game. Now, do, do you feel the same way? I feel like comedy is, uh, yes. Or rather, young person's game. I think comedy, <laughs> I think comedy and I, I'm just I'm noticing you have to split in a second. Oh yes, okay. I do. But but I think mm-hmm. comedy is a hungry person's game. I agree, and I think yeah. that <laughs> I think that hunger is more common in young people. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you meet people like uh, Mel Brooks, Joan Rivers, like people who are in their 80s and still that, hilarious, but yeah. because mm-hmm. they were still hungry, and mm-hmm. when people when people choose comfort over discomfort, when they choose. You know, like, ah, I'm okay. I don't really need anything else. Totally fine choices. Yeah. But that's when the hunger goes away, and comedy really is a really hungry man's it. game. And that, and I'll a tell hungry you. person's game. Yes, exactly. Let me it a hungry person's game. <laughs> maybe not be gender specific, but, uh, but, but it is yeah. a hungry person's game. Yeah, and that is one of the reasons that, uh, like, like, I will always love Eddie Murphy, and I will always love everything, but I don't know that he's hungry anymore. I think that's why he sort of backs away from it, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I had heard that he did a, a stand-up set, and I hope that's true. Um, um, uh, you know, because it makes me, it makes me. I would love for him to want to do. And that. I know it's not, it's not fair. But I don't blame him. Of you know, course, like if that's his life. It's, it's that's very, fine. it's very <laughs> selfish to pick your favorite performance and go do this. Yes, but you know, when you see Eddie Murphy and Bowfinger, you're like, do that again, exactly, because you're so good. Exactly. Yeah. So we we miss you, Eddie, and I. <laughs> <laughs> Come home, just so. But before you before you leave, just in a couple lines. I, I, I saw it in the theaters, but I don't remember it. But it, the title sticks out of my head. What was Morgan Stewart's Coming Home? Oh, uh, Morgan Stewart's Coming Home was a, a movie that was originally made as a Homefront. And it was a youth comedy about a kid, who, uh, a kid whose dad uh, uh, is a senator and is running for re-election and uh, uh, in, invites his kid who he's never paid any attention to back home to try and create the image of a family man, even though their, their family's really screwed up. And it was supposed to be a sort of a black comedy about this kid ruining his dad's Senate sure. career. Um, 
Uh, but it was uh, we we shut down a week into filming. They fired the director. Totally rewrote the script. That's Har- appreciating the stupid part of the business. Exactly. And then they uh, uh, then Ferris Bueller came out. Was a huge hit. So they said, okay, how can we sort of fake that title? <laughs> <laughs> and it became Morgan Stewart's Coming Home. Did you audition for Ferris Bueller? Uh, I did not. I was doing Pretty in Pink at the time, and the, at the time they were talking about me doing some kind of wonderful. Right. Right after that. Uh, so so that happened. was. The, that was the plan at the time was that I was going to do some kind of wonderful. And uh, uh, so, no, I did not. So here's, here, here's a, a suggestion. Okay. If you <laughs> wanted to, you could afford to just reshoot some kind of wonderful <laughs> <laughs> and put yourself. Oh, I like how you think. If I could find that original script, it was so different than what they, what they ended up with. Oh, you're right. I love it. I love okay, that good. idea. So this is – so we're going to – I think we can announce now. We have John a plan. He's officially rebooting some kind of wonderful with himself. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else will be like 17 years old. But it'll you'll, you'll still be a high school. But you'll, you'll still be a high school guy in it, though. <laughs> Don't explain it. No, no explanation whatsoever. Yes. Well, that was sort of hiding out too. Was another one where you yes, go back. Now that you mention it, loved that movie. Oh, thank you, man. Annabeth Gish, right? Yes. Fucking Annabeth God, Gish. I have an encyclopedic knowledge. Yes, of Yes, it's movies. impressive. It's very impressive. But I know, I know you have to. You're in the middle of a book thing, and we have to. I let must you go. go. Yes, I. Apologize. But uh, when is the when is the book come out? Uh, it's already out. It is out. Yes. What is yes. the official title of the book? Uh, it is So That Happened. So That Happened, John yes. Cryer. Uh, it's so lovely to sit down and talk to you, and wonderful that you took the time to come in and, oh, the, and talk the, about the stuff. The pleasure is mine, man, and uh, I've been a fan of yours uh, forever, since your stand-up and all that stuff. There is a Crispix, Crispix joke of yours that I just love. Oh, how my the God. Earth, how the earth is <laughs> corn on one side, rice on the other. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, that, uh, the Crispix. That, that resonated I with me, man. I appreciate that. People, people, people would get offended by that a lot of times. Why? So the joke is I go rice on the other because I thought I was making a racial statement. Oh, I'm like, geez. no, guys, there is literally, there is literally, literally rice. Our on economy is based planet. on corn. The other side <laughs> of the planet is a is a rice based economy. That's not a exactly. that's just agriculture. <laughs> it's an agriculture joke. <laughs> and then by that point, I'm the hook is dragging me. Yeah. <laughs> you people don't understand agriculture. <laughs> Uh, but thank you. I appreciate that. Oh. And it is uh, wonderful mm-hmm. to see you. Well, the pleasure was mine. And uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Okay. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the Wayback machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts